Well, here we are. Thanks for joining me today. Daytheria New Hope Radio. So good to be with you. We're going through Mark's Gospel right now. And we're really focusing on the things that Jesus said. You know, the words in red? That's what the focus is. Of course, we give a little background to, you know, why he said what he said. That's important, too. But um, I want to really focus on the things that he said, because I want us to feel like we're there. You know, like we're right there with the Lord. He's looking at us and talking so we can hear every syllable, every word that comes from his mouth. So we arrive at Mark chapter 3. We find Jesus entering a synagogue. And, uh, you know, this was a brave thing to do. Because back in chapter 1, you know what happened? He went into the synagogue then too. And uh, he cast out a demon out of a man. And what happened was all the church people, the religious people, they got really upset. They get set, upset because, wait a minute, it was Saturday. You don't do things like that on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. So you don't work on the Sabbath. Okay? So they weren't concerned about, hey, the guy was helped. It was more about, man, you don't, there's certain days you just can't help people. How'd you like to live like that? There's certain days you can't help people. Be like, there's certain days you can't eat. There's certain days you can't have a drink. You know, there's certain days you can't help. So that took place in the church, in the synagogue. And what is a synagogue? It's the place that the law was read and the law was taught. Now, here's what it looked like. In the center, think of a big room. In the center was an elevated pedestal, kind of like a podium or a stage, right? That's where the rabbis would sit in the big chairs and they would read and they would teach. And then the men sat around the perimeter of the room. And the women had their own seating place. So Jesus is back in the synagogue, and there's a man there with a withered hand. Okay? Now, the man wasn't born that way. As the Greek form says, something happened to him to shrivel his hand. Now, Jesus knew that he was being watched in the synagogue. And not only did that not deter him, I believe it motivated him even more. And again, it was another Saturday, another Sabbath. Okay? So in Mark chapter 3, verse 3, here's what Jesus said. Get up and come forward. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the man with the withered hand. And then Jesus said in verse 4, Is it lawful to do good or to harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? So he asked a pretty good question. Oh, but the people kept silent. They had no answer. If they said to save a life, that would break the Sabbath. If they said to kill, that would violate love for fellow man. So they were stuck. Now, because the Greek form says this guy wasn't born this way, it's believed that the man was a stonemason. And, uh, you know, his livelihood was at stake. He only had one hand now. So in verse 5, Jesus looked around the room, and you know what he saw? The hardness 
in the faces of the so-called religious leaders. He looked at their faces, and they were hard. You ever see a hard face? You know, a hard face is due to a hard heart. And these people were hard, okay? Faces had no love, had no life. Think about it. A face with love has life. A face that's a hard, it's hard because it has a hard heart. See, religiosity doesn't soften the heart. Only Christ does. Religion doesn't make people's hearts soft. Only Christ can make a person's heart soft. Remember the, the movies, the Godfather movies? They go to church all, all Sunday morning and then go kill people Sunday afternoon. <laughs> what a combination. So here's what Jesus said. Stretch out your hand. Now, Jesus, you know, he could have waited one more day, right? He could have said, come back tomorrow because today's the Sabbath and you come back tomorrow and I'm going to heal your hand. But he didn't do that. You know why? Because he wanted to prove a point. He wanted them to see that love was greater than law. That's what these people needed to learn. Love is greater than law. Well, Jesus healed a man. He did. And the Pharisees, you know what they did? They went out to figure out how to kill Jesus. That's it. We don't like this guy. We've had enough of this guy. Only in chapter 3. We're going to get rid of this guy. Why? Because he does things on Saturday. He does things on the Sabbath. Now, word was really beginning to get around about Jesus. And crowds were coming from even neighboring cities. So he told his disciples, listen, guys, always have a boat ready in case the crowd gets too close and they press upon us and we need to put some space between us and them. But now he returned to his hometown. And what happened? Number one, others said he was out of his mind. The familiarity will do that. People were familiar. They knew Jesus. And they said, this guy's out of his mind. Secondly, his family came out to take him home. Come on, son. You need to come home now. Thirdly, the scribes, they said he was possessed by Beelzebul. Who's Beelzebul? Well, that's a name. It means Lord of the Flies. And it's ascribed to, to the devil, to Satan. So Jesus addressed them. And he said in verse 23, remember now we're looking at the words of Christ. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's finished. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So Jesus said, Truly I say to you all, the sins shall be forgiven, the sons of man. All sins will be forgiven, the sons of men. But whatever blasphemes they utter, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but he's guilty of an eternal sin. It's like, whoa, what a sermon. 
What is Jesus talking about here? Well, that's what we're going to figure out. What is he saying? Let's go back to verse 23. How can Satan cast out Satan? See, people believe it took a higher power to cast out a lower power. It's true. So how can Satan cast out himself? If he's equal to himself, how can he cast out himself? Then he said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, a kingdom cannot stand, right? Internal dissension will destroy a kingdom. Oh, how about this? Internal dissension will destroy a nation. Look at America today. You know what we have? Internal dissension. It's what we have. Verse 25, Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, you know what? That house will not be able to stand. It works the same way in a home. Homes break up, but what precedes it? Division. A home that is one and unified will never break up. But it starts with divisions. And when divisions aren't reconciled and healed, then the end result is, you know it, a divided and a broken home. So if there are constant quarrels in a home, that home will not endure. This is a practical warning, people, that wherever people are bound together, if that group is divided against itself, it will crumble. Whether it's a family, whether it's a church, it could be a team, a ball team, they'll have poor performance if, they, if they're divided against themselves. Even the workplace. When people in the workplace are divided against themselves, you know, we have poor quality in work. Because you know why? People are not in the mood. They're not in the mood to put their best foot forward because there's too much conflict much division. Why did Satan come, Jesus said? To steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal, to divide us, to separate us, to destroy us, to rob us. It'll work everywhere people are bound together. Marriage, family, workplace, team, church, you name it. You can't let them in. And Jesus said, if a house divided against itself is against, is divided against itself, the house will not stand. Then he said in verse 26, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, cannot stand, he's finished. Again, he's talking about erosion. Erosion, you know where it begins? On the inside. That's where it begins. Ancient Rome was the greatest nation of that day. And then it fell, but it didn't fall overnight. You know what happened? It began to erode on the inside. Erosion. And it looks like America is going the same way. It's eroding on the inside. Morality is eroding. Law is eroding. Eroding. Light rights are eroding. Everything good about America is eroding. We're eroding from the inside. And pretty soon, it's going to work its way outwardly, and America will fall. It will. No doubt about it. I believe it with all my heart. America will be reduced to 
a non-entity. And I believe that's the setup for the Great Tribulation. Because America's in the way. It's too strong. So it's going to be reduced. And then the Great Tribulation will begin because the world will be run by Europe, by other nations. And we'll be gone. And the church will be gone too. So think about it. Even a person, even an individual can erode on the inside. And then in time, be reduced to nothing. So warning. This takes place so slowly, it's often unnoticeable. You won't even see it happening. So ask yourself, am I eroding on the inside? That's a good question. It's a good question that we should all ask ourselves. Am I eroding on the inside? Well, what does erosion look like? Erosion looks like disaster. Things are falling apart. Like a beach, it's not what it used to be. Okay? When a beach erodes, it's not what it used to be. When we erode, we're not what we were when we found our first love in Christ. And now we're beginning to erode in fall away. Oh, my eroding room, I fell of life. It's the life of God inside of me, flowing through me. Like Jesus said, rivers of living water. So Jesus gives an analogy. And by the way, he's not giving instructions on how to do a breaking and entry in a house. Okay? He's not promoting that. But he did say in verse 27, No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So what he's saying is, you've got to be stronger than the person that you want to take down. Then you have to bind them. So if Jesus did not act on a superior power to Satan, in other words, God's power, he could not cast out demons. He obviously had to be stronger than Satan in order to undo Satan. If he was equal to Satan, he couldn't undo what Satan was doing. Think of what you're trying to overcome in your own life. If it is stronger than you, you can only do it by a greater power, the power of God. That's why when people go to AA meeting, they attribute their victory to a higher power. I guess that's because they don't want to you know, make it spiritual, but the higher power is God. It's not whatever you want it to be. You can't make the higher power a tree. You can't make the higher power some entity. No, it's Jehovah God, Jesus Christ. That's the higher power. So if there are things in your life that are very strong, and they're stronger than you, and they're controlling, it's only through Christ that you can find freedom. Like substance abuse, that's powerful. Oh, people are at war with their substance abuse. Only Christ can give you total victory. Pornography, Christ can give you total, total victory. Eating disorders, difficult to get victory over on your own, but Christ can do it. How about this one? Laziness. Lazy people. I don't like lazy people. But Christ can give you life. Are you disorganized? Some people being disorganized, that's a power. They can't defeat it. Christ can. 
See, you can overcome any giant in your life with God's power. You can. Because he is the supreme power, the supreme authority over all other powers. That's why we go to God. And we go to Christ. That's where the power lies. Okay? So I want to keep that right in front of you at all times. Always go to God. Now, Jesus said in verse 28, Truly I say to you, all sin shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but they're guilty of an eternal sin. Whew. Now, I must admit, this is a very tricky passage to interpret. Many people have their own idea on what it means. I can only tell you what I think it means. To me, here in the days of Jesus, blaspheming against the Spirit looks like the sin of attributing to the devil the works of Christ. Saying that you're doing that by the devil himself. What does that do? It robs Jesus of his deity. Okay? If it robs Jesus of his deity, you can't be saved because you got to know who the Christ is that died for you. He's deity and humanity. It's the hypostatic union. He's both. And if you've got the wrong Savior, you don't have salvation. So you can't diminish Christ of his deity and still be saved. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, but he's not God. And then think that that's salvation, because it's not. You have to believe in the person of Christ as well as the work of Christ. And he's all God and he's all man. See, Jesus has been dealing with those who said he was working in league with Satan. And Jesus is explaining, listen, it's impossible to cast out demons by Satan because they're all equal. You've got to be superior. You've got to bind the strong man. You see, the real issue is the war of good against evil. You know, that's the war in our nation, too. It really is good against evil. Let me ask you, what side are you on? What side are you on? Or what side do you think you're on? And then what side are you really on? Because there's a battle between two kingdoms, and earth is the battlefield. And we need to remember this when considering our own personal desires. Okay? So finally, now, Jesus' family shows up on the scene. And someone calls out to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. And Jesus gave a rather startling response. He said in verse 33, Who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looked around at the crowd, and you know what he said? Behold, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus isn't diminishing the value of his family. He's raising up people that do God's will to the level of his family. He's explaining what is true kinship to him. Okay? That's true kinship. See, family loves family. And Jesus loves those who love his word. So he's saying, yes, that's my family and I love them. But I'm going to tell you something. All of you 
who love my word and you love my father, you're my family too. And I love you too. So think about the value that Jesus ascribes to people that want to know him, that want to serve him, that want to do the will of God. It raises them right up to the level of the family. Now, there are four aspects to true kinship. Number one, the common experience. We're all forgiven sinners. This is, this is us in the family of God. Okay? We are all forgiven sinners. Number two, we have common interests. Spiritual growth. Right? We all want to grow spiritually. That's what we want. Number three, we have a common obedience. Though different, we have a common master. Only one. God. Okay? Think about it. Only God could put a tax collector and a fisherman together on the same team. <laughs> People that in the natural flesh hate each other. But when God calls them, he teams them up together. And they become one. And they live in a common obedience. And then fourthly, we have a common goal. To spread the gospel. And so we have a kinship among us as followers of Christ. So that's why Jesus could say, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. These are his family because they share four things. They share the four things that make a family. They share a common experience. They share common interests. They share common obedience. And they share a common goal. So let me leave you with the words of Jesus and the Gospel of Mark. I just want to focus on what Jesus said. Okay? Here we go. Put yourself in the crowd. Get up and come forward. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? Stretch out your hand. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's finished. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. How truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Who are my mother and my brothers? Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister, and mother. So, by reading those scriptures, I want you to kind of really get a sense of who Jesus is, of what's in his heart. You know, what's in a person's heart is what's important to them, because that's their thought life. That's the thought life of Jesus. And isn't it great to know him in a very personal way? Of course it is. 
And the more personally you get to know him, the more you'll understand him and the more you want to walk with him. Okay, next time we'll be in Mark chapter 4. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Oh, that's good. I like, I like talking about the kingdom of God. You know why? That's our eternal home. That's where we will be living for all of eternity. And we're in it in a way right now. We are. We are citizens of God's kingdom, even though we live on the earth. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. So you think about that and don't take that for granted. Okay? It's an incredible thing. You know what it is? It's a gift that God has given us. That's right. It's a gift. Citizenship in his kingdom is the gift of God. Do you have that gift? I hope you do. How do you receive it? By acknowledging Jesus Christ, the God-man. Oh, yes, all God, all man. Not a little of each, not one of each. All God, all man. Became a man. Why? So he could die. So he could atone for the sins of the world. That whoever believes in him would never, ever perish. But they would have eternal life. And then you become a citizen of heaven. And you can live your life on the earth knowing where you belong, that you belong to God. I like that. You belong to God. Hey, thanks for coming along today. Don't forget, join the Hope Club. Very easy to do. You will get a devotional in your email every Monday through Friday. Just go to newhoperadio.live, okay? Click the menu bar. You can read about it, how to join the Hope Club. You commit $3 a week. Every Friday, just send it off, you know? And every Monday through Friday, we'll send you an email devotional. If you like to listen in the morning, man, what a day to get started. What a way. Start off the day listening to the Word of God. It's like tuning an instrument before you play it. You got to tune your heart before you play, before you get out there and live life, okay? And that's what these daily devotionals will help you to do, okay? So thank you for coming along. Appreciate each and every one of you. That's why I pray for the program. Support us through the Hope Club. So we can be here on a regular basis and always go to the Hope Club podcast so you can hear these messages again and again and again. We'll see you next time.